going to kill you all if I don't got to. They got a bayou over here. Take it. Stay to the west side. We want to find a road about a mile up there. Do you mind telling us what's going on? It's real simple. We live back in here. This is our home, and nobody don't fault with us. What about him? What about him? Did he do it to himself, or did your friends help him out? If I was you all, I quit asking questions and haul ass. But my buddies, they're not nice like me. Are we supposed to say thanks? You're not supposed to say nothing, soldier. You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. The following podcast may contain adult language and discussions of an adult nature. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. You have been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight! Uh, It is They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, episode 201. And I'm your host, Lee, small unit military penetration, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel, like steel pussies, Harper. How you doing, sir? I am not wading through a swamp uh, in which uh, mm. a bunch of Cajuns or uh, Viet Cong are trying to kill me. <laughs> yeah. If that doesn't tip you off, and if you haven't read the title of the episode... Uh, we are going to be covering Walter Hill's Southern Comfort from 1981. But before we get into that, we do have a YouTube comment, and a rather long one, too. And it's a nice one as well. So well, Good. I'm glad that you tell me that in advance so I don't have to steal myself mm-hmm. for the um, relentless logic and um, uh, completely uh, <laughs> like the well-written prose. Yeah, that our YouTube commenters usually come up with when they uh, trash our podcast. And yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is actually a episode that has gotten some good posts on it lately, uh, as opposed to a lot of our episodes, which just get like, is it bad day at Black Rock? No, okay, because you usually get shitty comments on that one, right? Right, right. Uh, This is one that's been sort of garnering good comments, and it's probably our most controversial episode on YouTube because people are just looking for spank material, and they don't get it. (laughs) So on our episode on the cheerleaders, someone called Rich V says, I have never seen a movie anything like the cheerleaders. Any sex comedy after was a poor imitation. Believe it or not, I saw the cheerleaders in the Newark College of Engineering Theater in 1973. It's it's now the uh, New Jersey... Or NJIT, whatever that stands for. I, I don't know. Um, New Jersey Institute for Technology? Possibly. Probably. Yeah. Could have it been shown in, at <laughs> Which other... Which is co- the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, but like uh, two states down. That's essentially <laughs> what the, you know... Could it have been shown at any other colleges or universities or even uh, West Point? Nah. I don't at any co-ed ones either. Yeah, probably not. 
Uh, probably, especially not at co-ed <laughs> colleges. You probably weren't going to see this screened anywhere. Did he say it was in the 70s that he saw it, or was it later yeah, on? Yeah, I think, I think he's saying he saw it in the 70s. I can sort of see, like, the 70s were a weird time, and I can sort of see, like, a college, you know, like, uh, kind of throwing this up for, for students. and like, oh, yeah, this is a thing. You know, we're going mm-hmm. to watch the cheerleaders. Yeah. Uh, this is a, I mean, this is a, a pre, um, pre-modern era. This was uh, when dinosaurs roamed the earth or whatever, you know. I mean, maybe someone were kind of like uh, catching on to our sort of like little half theories that maybe there's a secret art film here in the cheerleaders somewhere <laughs> underneath all those titties. <laughs> or maybe it was just a thing that they did for the students too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, one or the other, clearly. It was, it was one or the other. We'll never know. We'll never know. Yeah, uh, he says he never saw so many goons in one theater. I think I saw five girls total at the college in four years, and none were attractive. LOL. Okay, uh, but he says one of the actors, Vinny. Well, no, the character of Vinny, and that was one of the. Um, and I, I don't even know if you would remember this, Daniel. He, he's one of the uh, like bikers that they that they try to fuck, and uh, there's like these two bikers and. And they're still trying to get like the the main character laid so she can become one of the cheerleading squad. Right, 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 right. Yeah, and so they and she's like, "Well, what about those two guys over there?" And and the lead cheerleader's like, oh, "They're kind of greasy and dirty." But she's like, "We should just do it. We should just go fuck them." And and they try to fuck them, and it doesn't work out very well. So anyway, the one that's called Vinny was also an American graffiti. Apparently, uh, can you believe it? Mm. And then he linked to his Facebook page, John Brassisi, I believe is his name. He's, he's, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a large IMDB, but he was also in uh, Goodfellas, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that. Well, just, just so one of those like vaguely Italian looking yeah. guy who, uh, you know, showed up in like uh, some movies. Yeah, but so yeah, he linked that. He linked, and apparently the guy was also an American Graffiti. He goes on saying, "Was this movie ever shown on cable TV or Netflix, cut or uncut?" None um, of the stuff ever. I mean, maybe back in like kind of that like 2011 era, like mm-hmm. you know, this was on Netflix during the sort of when Netflix just owned the streaming rights for everything because nobody else like kind of had any kind of infrastructure to do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Like you can maybe imagine this was like on the like I remember the era and like even you and I have talked about this on the podcast back when we first started. I remember the era of like literally everything was on Netflix. You know? Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, wasn't that a beautiful time in which you could just like search for a movie and watch it because like you paid your like ten bucks a month or whatever for a Netflix subscription. Um. And now uh, that is not the case. Although we'll see what happens um, post coronavirus when all these companies get crushed too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, he, he says that at the very least it wasn't on uh, Skinamax. I think the problem why is the mentioning in the advertising for this that Jeannie is sixteen in the movie. She's supposed to be sixteen years old. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 But he says, uh, two great movies uh, in 73, this and American Graffiti. And uh, the theaters were so big, each with one just big, huge screen. Yeah, I, I can still remember when movie theaters just had one big, huge screen and weren't, you know, like the, you know, the doubled up or whatever split and everything. But Yeah, it's funny, like, I don't know if this is just a difference between you and me and kind of where we grew up or whatever, but, like, I never got that experience. Um I've been to the Music Box Theater in Chicago, which mm-hmm. um, is kind of, um, it's not a multiplex, it has a couple, but it does, it is one of those kind of old theaters where it's got these kind of like giant 
um, screens. I saw Raiders right. of the Lost Ark there one day, oh, yeah. um, like uh, fairly randomly. It was a beautiful date night, which happened completely randomly, which is one of the like most beautiful cinema, cinema experiences of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, were I to live in Chicago, I would visit the Music Box uh, very often. Although, again, not. Uh, not during the coronavirus, but uh, you know, <laughs> um, no, yeah, no, uh, like all my theaters, like there were like kind of the dollar theaters and sort of like the two screen theaters, like kind of in my hometown. Yeah. Um, this was slightly pre multiplex, but I don't like, I don't actually have personal experience with sort of the era of like, there's one screen in a movie theater sort of thing, you know? Yeah. We had a uh, local theater. It's, it's now been since converted into like a, uh, two floor like bar and restaurant kind of mm. deal but a couple towns down um and it was a big big screen theater just nice big screen uh they eventually started running into money issues and so they cut it into two screens and uh tried to you know hey we've got a couple movies showing instead of just one tonight you know you can pick take your pick and unfortunately it's still still ran dry we still do have some theaters around here but that was just sort of a victim of you know the uh, emerging DVD market and all that stuff. It was just like, eh, why go to the theater when you can just go to ABC video and rent a DVD for the night or whatever. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I still remember when multiplex was sort of like a, a mark of derision, like, Oh, you're going to go to the multiplex mm. eight screens there. Don't you know that that's like uh, losing artistic integrity? And the reality is like, you know, if you, you kind of think about it, the reality is that like in a sort of modern film market, the idea that there are like one or two screens, means that, like, the only thing that plays are, like, the biggest movies of the mm-hmm. week, you know? And so, like, I remember I got to see Itamama Tambien on a big screen. Oh, yeah. At a multiplex outside the mall, like, <laughs> you know, because um, that theater had 10 screens, They really, and so they would just take the kind of oddball stuff. Yeah. And so you don't, like, it's, it's kind of a weird, it's a, kind of a mixed bag sometimes, because sometimes you could get, like, there was somebody there that, either cared enough to like kind of program the oddball stuff mm-hmm. or there was somebody there who just kind of took whatever somebody offered. So it's hard to yeah. know like ultimately, but yeah, I saw Ichimama Tambien, you know, at, a, at like a midnight showing in a tiny little uh, movie theater. <laughs> <in Los laughs> Alabama, That's awesome. Uh, outside the, like next to the Sears because, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, <laughs> Sears, it was, what, all these kids listening to this, like, what are they talking about? These old men. Yeah, we're old people. Like, do you want to know what the last movie I saw in that theater was before it closed down? This is how old it is? Sure. Beavis and Butthead do America. Wow, that's what, 90, 96? Mm. Something like that. 96, 97? 97. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, we went on a, went on a date. It was a good date. Oh, cool. Don't remember. the last date you've been on? I would, I would believe it. No, not the last, but not. It's not like I had a shit ton sense, but you know. <laughs> Fair I mean, you know, I can't go to. There's no theaters to go to anymore for for no, awesome. No, so. no. <laughs> our podcast makes more money than the entire movie industry does right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and our podcast doesn't make any money. So. <laughs> I love yeah. seeing those graphs. It's like the entire film industry in the United States made like fourteen hundred dollars. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! <laughs> the whole industry is being fucked. Uh, you know, yep. we'll see. It's coronavirus. That's where we. That's where. We're 
man. Life is life is gonna change. Yeah, we should move on. We should move on. Yeah, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll move on now to uh, what we've watched in the last little while, and uh, I'll let you go first, there, Daniel. Uh, sure. I watched. Uh, I mean, I've been kind of watching a little bit of stuff. I think um, you know, Lee and I are both essential workers, so unfortunately, we're both. Uh, well, it's kind of a mixed bag, right? Because uh, we're both working, mm-hmm. which is nice. Um, in the sense that money still comes in, uh, but also like, uh, if we weren't, uh, we could just sit and watch movies and do like five episodes a week, Mm -hmm. Um, but I haven't been watching that much stuff because I've been, you know, kind of like, you know, dealing with like both the pressures of the pandemic and, uh, uh, work schedule, which, uh, if anything has gone, like has become more stressful. Um, yeah, but I did uh, watch a uh, I think it's a four part miniseries on Netflix and it's called How to Fix a Drug Scandal. I've been watching quite a few documentaries lately because I find them uh, kind of strangely soothing, like they kind of feed my brain, but don't require me to kind of get um, you know, kind of emotionally invested in people mm-hmm. in the same way. And this is a uh, series. It's kind of about um, there were these two incidents uh, in Pennsylvania um, uh, a few years ago, like 10 years ago, in which it turned out that there were two drug testing labs, like uh, people like kind of testing for a drug product. Um, and, um, you know, you, you get a baggie of something that looks like heroin. You test it to see what mm-hmm. it is, if it's heroin, and you put things out as positive or negative, right? Right. And you get, um, there were these two labs, and there was, there was this kind of simultaneous scandal where two individual people were faking results in uh. two very different ways. And it's kind of a fascinating watch. I, you know, uh, without revealing too much about myself, I am a chemist um, in my day. I don't do, um, I, I don't work in a drug testing lab, but, um, you know, I I have some experience with sort of the general kind of thing. It's kind of a fascinating story um, in the sense that it does kind of tell the stories of these two women and sort of like why they did the things that they did. Mm-hmm. And it is two very different stories. The first one is, you know, um, basically she's pumping out data. She's pumping out product and, uh, there's always kind of a backlog and you're just kind of, you just kind of sit there. You're in this rickety lab. You mm-hmm. have no support. There's no kind of money that goes in except like, you know, and they just want results. And so you just kind of like pump it yeah. out. And then it's like, I need, some energy i need some something to kind of get me through the day and i've got this like stock this giant bottle of like methamphetamine (laughs) just kind of sitting over there and so she was doing like a drop of methamphetamine a day just kind of get her through for years like she would do this like you know once a day two times a day three times a day just to sort of like move through her day until she became like addicted to meth and uh (laughs) Then she kind of went like deeper down the rabbit hole as like you know her bosses started to kind of like look at like oh there's this bottle we did inventory and then you know kind of all this kind of complicated stuff um, and then the other one was uh, someone who was um, basically uh, pushing through like four times as much prod- um, product as yeah. anybody else in the lab and nobody knew how she was doing it and the way that she was doing it was uh, faking her results. Uh, because uh, ultimately what the DAs want and what law enforcement wants is um, a positive result so they can... Oh, convictions, yeah. Yeah. Um, I did find the the thing... A, it's fascinating all the way through. And um, it does kind of tell these kind of human stories and it does kind of get into that. 
What I find frustrating is that it um, sort of blames these two women for this as opposed to sort of the system that sort of like needed those results. Right. It really doesn't kind of push on that in the way that I think it should because, um, you know, ultimately kind of like it's very easy to kind of blame, oh, yeah, this person got into drug addiction. It's like, no, she was working like, you know, 12 hour days, like doing like this incredibly repetitive, boring work. And, um, yeah. you know, needed something to kind of get through her day. And then the other one was literally just, like, making up results and feeding it to people because, like, that's what the system wants, ultimately. And um, yeah. it, it is definitely a worthwhile watch, but it does have um, some issues, and I would recommend it. So, sorry, I kind of went off uh, a little bit on that. but um, it's No, that's cool. Yeah, that sounds good. I have three things I'll mention First two are, uh, they actually directly connect to uh, what we're doing tonight in, in a certain way, in that they're both exploitation films. Um, and I, I'd, I'd say Southern Comfort kind of fits into that exploitation. Uh, in the last, like, 20 minutes. Yeah. And, it, and, you know, it's also much more heavily deliverance and, like, survival genre or whatever. But these two, uh, do you know who Jesse Vint is? Jesse, I know who Jesse Ventura is. <laughs> Not the same. Um, you, you would probably know him if you saw his face because he's a pretty well-known character actor. But I, I watched two films starring Jesse Vint. First one is Macon County Line from 1974. This is a little. This is one about uh, Jesse Vint and Jesse Vint and his brother, real life brother, play brothers in this, and they're basically. They've got like a week left of carefree, just hell raisin in the deep south before they get uh, sent off in the military to basically, you know, uh, wave off some criminal charges that they had pending against them, which is a thing you could do. I don't know if that's still a thing that the U.S. Army does, but uh, <laughs> I, I get the feeling there's there's quite a bit of that kind of going on even today. Yeah. Mm. They they basically become victims of circumstance because they they do raise a little hell. Like they go on, they're they're not going on a killing spree or nothing, but they do raise hell. They're they're out for a party. They're out to fuck some women and stuff. They just get caught up in these really bad circumstances because they just happen to be traveling around the same time that these pair of killers are traveling around the town. And these killers happen to kill the wife of the local sheriff. There's a home invasion and they kill her. And of course they rape her because it's the 1970s and that's what happens in these films. And, of course, the sheriff goes bonkers and goes nuts on a vendetta to get these two guys because he suspects, hey, it's these two guys that I saw earlier. It's not these unknown, these killers that are unknown to me. It's these two fuckers because, you know, they're not from the South or at least not from this part of the South. So, you know, they're invaders. And it's it's that whole kind of idea. It's really tragic. It's surprisingly great. Like, it's 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 way... Uh, it was just sort of, like, put in the sort of, like, drive-ins and stuff like that as mm-hmm. an exploitation film. Way better than anything that would have been playing next to it in, like, a drive-in theater. It just, like, some cheapy exploitation double bill or whatever. I like to imagine, like, driving up to, a, like, a drive-in in the 70s and being like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm looking for, you know, uh, boobies and guns and some... Mm-hmm. And then find like a real movie and being like, I feel cheated. Well, I mean, this movie has that stuff, but it's just so well acted and so tragic and just well realized. It's on my best of the uh, year list uh, right now. um, Very good. Maybe we should do it then. 
Yeah, we could do that. We could time travel back to the seventies, maybe, or if we get to the seventies this year, whatever happens first. Whatever happens, you know, maybe we'll do it in three years. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but but continuing on, uh, so that was from seventy four. Jesse Vint went on to be the co writer on this next one, Black Oak Conspiracy, uh, from seventy seven, which is kind of a ripoff of Walking Tall because it's mm-hmm. about small town corruption and the, uh, the the towny boy who made good outside of town and comes back and finds he has to clean up his town. Same kind of idea a little bit. Um, but yeah, Jesse Vent plays like a uh, sort of journeyman stuntman who uh, comes back to take care of his mother in town and finds that his mother's being swindled by like land developers and stuff like that. And like there's this whole conspiracy in Black Oak going on. And he unravels it. It's also really good. Uh, some surprising. Well, let's let's do a two parter. Let's do that before we go back to silence. Like that. These both sound really good. I'd like. To, let's just do that. All right. Cool. Well, let's do it. Uh, I, I again another one. I think I'm putting on my best of the year list. Like it's fucking great. Like both of these are just like they they really punched above their weight. I wasn't expecting. And we shit. and we have already seen like. A ton of great it turns out that when you go back to the 20s and they go like oh yeah let's watch the movies that have uh, maintained a reputation for 100 years mm-hmm. you find a lot of really fucking good movies yeah it's funny how that works right yeah yeah so um you know that's high praise um I think, yeah yeah we should do that before we jump back to the the 20s uh, all definitely. right we should, uh, we should just do those two movies yeah and the uh, last one, I'll, and by, by the way, I'll mention those those two movies. If anyone listening is interested in checking them out before we get to them, uh, they're both on uh, the Shout Factory TV uh, for free. So you can just pick them right up. And the other one I watched, and this is also on Shout Factory TV. I, you can see a theme here. I was watching a lot of Shout Factory TV as this whole coronavirus thing sort of <laughs> came down. But uh, The Human Factor from 1975, and this is starring uh, George Kennedy. And this is kind of a Death Wish ripoff in a way, but it's also kind of a combination of an espionage film at the same time because George Kennedy plays this, basically this computer programmer who works for uh, NATO and he's uh, stationed in Italy and they're running war games against the communists, right? And and so his family gets murdered just out of the blue. He comes home to find his family. As you do, as you do, your family gets murdered, yeah. And he, you know, George Kennedy, big barrel chested, you know, common looking guy. You didn't expect him to be an action hero or anything like that, but he just descends into this intense rage and decides I'm going to find the killers and find out why they killed my family and shit. And it's really well done too. Like he, the last third of that film, he just goes on this fucking rampage and starts killing people. And like, at, at first you're like, I can't buy him as an action hero until he starts doing it. And you're like, oh my god, George Kennedy! I mean, what can't you do? <laughs> yeah, no, that that also sounds uh, sounds great. It, it, it's it's kind of neat too. Like it's a little teeny bit sci-fi because I think at that time the computers could not quite do what he's doing with them to like track the, the killers. But still, yeah, yeah no, like I, I I am kind of like interested in watching that as well. Um, I think uh-huh. doing, I don't know. Now I'm like, yeah, let's just program this for next week. Let's just do, <laughs> let's just do. This later, but, uh, yeah, probably I'm probably not gonna have time to watch all that. But uh, yeah, we can we can go from there. Yeah, but uh, definitely stuff to uh, to get to. But yeah, that that's that's what I watched of note. Anyway, there's some other stuff, but I mean, that's those are the main things that stuck out to me. Um, yeah, so we're gonna take a break. Oh, excuse me. 
so yeah, we're going to take a break. I'm going to not burp this time. And uh, we're going to play a little Very bit. Very rude. Very rude. I mean, after 200 episodes, what the fuck do people expect? Yeah, nobody, nobody cares anymore. We're past 200 episodes. We have officially hit our peak. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all downhill from here. Yeah, but, you know, for those people who are on the uh, downward swing with us, we appreciate it, and we're going to play some music and some podcast promos, and we're going to come back and uh, talk about Southern Comfort. You ungodly warlock. New movie reviews all the time. See if these films age just like a fine wine. Oh no, we'll jack it up again. TV, games, and more with them. Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb are all the rage, but we'll lock those critics up in one cage. The Jacked Up Review Show, every Wednesday evening on Spotify, Podbean, Anchor, and other available podcast apps. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. You ungodly warlock. Southern Comfort from 1981. It will show you as much about survival as deliverance. As much about human courage as Midnight Express. As much about armed conflict as Apocalypse Now. Bayous of Louisiana, the home of a little understood group of Americans. They're a peaceful people as long as they're left alone. Oh, hi. 
on weekend maneuvers. In 48 hours, they'll be home with their families. There's only one problem. We live back in here. This is our home. They've crossed the boundary into a territory where they don't belong. We ran into some people that are real weird, and I think maybe they're trying to kill us. They violated laws they never knew existed. Somebody figure out where the hell we're going and do it quick. Gotta go east to go north. Damn man. And the farther they go, the closer they get to nowhere. I'm gonna do it. But I'm gonna fight my way out of here. by Walter Hill, who you may know from Hard Times, and we covered uh, one of his films, The Driver, um, The Warriors, 48 Hours, Red Heat, among a shit ton of other stuff, wrote this, co-wrote the story for Aliens, I believe, at the very least, and so he's got Alien. like... Alien, the first one. Are you sure it was Alien? I thought I was looking I th- at his Wikipedia page today, I thought it was the first one. I think it was, I think it was Aliens, because then after that he got like co-writing credits for like every subsequent alien s- sequel or whatever. But so I thought alien was, uh, I thought it, Oh no, you're probably right. Yeah. I think he was on Al- alien too. Yeah. Probably. Then I think about it. Yeah. I just fucked up your entire thing. Yeah. I get it. Alien from his Wikipedia okay. page. Uh, the script came to him, which he optioned and rewrote with his partner. Uh, did not credited for the writing work. It said not to direct the film, which he would do it. So he he did he did. Walter Hill, somebody who did like he's one of those like Hollywood guys, right? Mm-hmm. So he kind of had his fingers on a whole bunch of stuff, and you kind of look back and go like, yeah, he did. He got paid to do like an uncredited like rewrite of Alien, and how much of that original, how much of his uh, stuff ended up in the in the final film? Like, yeah, who knows, right? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, Ah, so this is uh, starring Keith Carradine of the uh, Carradine acting family as Spencer. Uh, you might know Keith Carradine from Nashville. Uh, he played in The Long Riders with, uh, I think, all of his brothers uh, at, at that point, uh, a Western. And uh, he was even in uh, Wild Bill uh, from, what, the 90s, I believe that was, right? Yeah. Uh, Powers Booth is Harden, and if you don't know him... Who, uh, who looks... Who both is unreasonably young if mm-hmm. you kind of only know him as, as I mostly do from his later career and still looks like uh, very middle-aged. <laughs> he looks 50. Like he, yeah. he looks like he's hitting 50. He looks both 50 and 20 to me. It's, it's kind of an amazing. Um, he's, he's like one of those. Um, he's like one of those like college football players you saw in the seventies where, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're clearly like 23, but their hairline is like 55. Like that. That's. <laughs> I mean, he's built like a brick shit house, right? Sure. Like you know, he's he's definitely built, uh, but he's also uh, he doesn't. Again, he doesn't seem young. He seems like he's got some miles on him, but we're so used to his like kind of later um, yeah. appearance 
and things like Sin City and Deadwood, et cetera, et cetera, that like it's kind of hard to kind of look back at him. So, like, um, yeah, it's 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 kind of a weird experience, but uh, he's great at it. Uh, no complaints yeah. about the performance. Yeah, yeah, you know, also uh, notable Red Dawn uh, and uh, Frailty is one I would also credit as the cop, as the you know, who's oh, was going he at... Frailty. Jeez. Yeah, he was he was like the FBI agent or That's whatever. That's another film that I saw at that like weird uh, movie theater. Um, oh yeah, uh, you know, played. For two weeks in this, like, you know, yeah. fucking mall parking lot movie theater, you know. Um, oh, such a great So film. I did see that in the big screen. Oh, man, we might have to just kind of, like, uh, use this excuse to just, like, kind of plug in some favorites for uh, before we go back to silence. I'm not going to complain about that. The great Fred Ward as Reese. Uh, you might know him from Tremors. Yep, Tremors. Also yep. should be on our list to do. Mm-hmm. Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. If you haven't seen that, that's actually pretty fun. And also the HBO TV movie, Cast a Deadly Spell, which was, you know, sort of a, uh, hey, we're winking at you. We know HP Lovecraft and we can drop some names and stuff. It's it's basically a horror detective uh, oh. movie from HBO. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, uh, the, the sequel actually had um, Dennis Hopper playing the role, which wasn't as good. Fred Ward just is a better noir detective than uh, Dennis Hopper. But there you... <laughs> uh, We're just going to leave that here for now. We'll put a pin in that and come back to it in 200 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Franklin Seals as Sims, uh, T.K. Carter as Cribs, Lewis Smith as Stucky, and I know Lewis Smith as the Heavenly Kid. He's, have you ever seen the Heavenly Kid the from Heavenly the 80s? He, he's the, his, he's the, his, the ghost? Yes, he's the greaser who comes back. Yeah, he has he comes the, back as a ghost. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, That's yeah, all I remember. That's all I remember. There were probably yeah. some tits in that movie, maybe. I don't know. I there saw was, a bunch of the kid. I think there might have been tits in that, but at the very least, he gets like the... like Basically, his mission is, hey, if you want to earn your wings, you got to have this... Yeah, you got to get this class dork to get laid. Basically, it's right, basically right. it. So, and he gets laid. Uh, Les Lannon as Casper, uh, Peter Coyote as Pool, Alan Altry as Bowden, and Brian James as Trapper. Brian James, if you don't know who the fuck this guy is, I mean, I don't know if you've watched movies. Uh, Blade Runner, Enemy Mine, Cherry Two Thousand, Tango and Cash. He's played like the heavy in almost every great movie from like the 80s and right into the 90s before he died basically he, so. he gets frozen to death in the fifth element so, yeah yeah, yeah it's uh, funny like i saw his face and i'm like oh, where do i know that face from mm-hmm. and literally my brain like i picked him out from blade runner first but the thing that i really know him for is the fifth element and so yeah. man he he and he died way too young too like he yeah he died like right, Thor, right like from yeah, or something, yeah, right in the end of the 90s. Uh, but he's great. Uh, but we have a synopsis here from someone called Keith Lowe. And okay. he says, a squad of National Guards on an isolated weekend exercise in the Louisiana swamp must fight for their lives when they anger local Cajuns by stealing their canoes. Without live ammunition and a strange country, your experience begins to mirror the Vietnam experience. Well, you, God, give it away already. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I love reading the Wikipedia page for this film where mm-hmm. Walter Hill, like in like several places on the Wikipedia page is saying like, people are going to say this film is about Vietnam. This is not about Vietnam. This is definitely not about Vietnam. And uh, you watch the film and it's like, 
uh, this film is totally about Vietnam. There's no I can, like, yeah. I can understand. I can understand it. Like I don't know if he's trolling or if look. Like, I can understand. I, I, I can... feel. I feel like the yeah. I, I, we'll get into this. I think, but I feel like the thing is like I don't want this to seem like a kind of political anti-Vietnam movie. Like this is mm-hmm. um, released in eighty one, which is only a few years. Out. I mean, uh, uh, troops were pulled, the last troops were pulled out in seventy five. Yeah. So um, this is this is a very kind of recent thing and saying like. Look, what I want people to come away with this from is like kind of look at the characters and kind of look at the situation and kind of look. And I'm not trying to make a kind of like overtly political movie that's like going to be kind of viewed through this lens of this is about Vietnam. Uh, but at the same time, it's very clearly about, about Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah. Right. It's like, um, you know, it both, you know, and I feel like we could do two different reviews, like uh, one where. We view it through the lens of like if we view this as a Vietnam metaphor, and one that's like kind of like separated from that, you know. Um, and I and I feel like the uh, some of what makes the film work is in that kind of um, that liminal space, that kind of region between. Like, is this kind of about the Vietnam War? Is this kind of about kind of a political commentary? Or is this something that's more um, elemental or more kind of like looking at uh, kind of bigger picture, kind of philosophical, metaphysical ideas? And um, yeah, it's a it's a complicated, I don't know, it's, I'll be interested to see where this conversation goes, ultimately. All right. Uh, yeah, so uh, what do you think of this movie, Daniel? Well, uh, <laughs> I kind of want to reference the, like, the bullshit, you know? We might um, as well just let people know. Uh, we're starting this over. So, so we've already recorded um, a good, like, 30 minutes about this movie. We got, we were almost done with the show. And uh, it turned out that like we had some technical problems and things didn't get recorded, so we're now re-recording this. And so um, all my jokes, uh, Lee's not going to laugh at them because uh, he's already heard them, and that's that's going to be great. I'm so pissed off right now. I don't even recall any of your jokes. I don't think anything funny happened because (laughs) I don't think nothing funny happened because like things didn't get recorded. Anyway, um, this is a really uh, fine film. I don't think this is going to end up on my uh, best of the year list, um, largely because you know we're doing like some of the greatest films from the twenties and thirties, yeah. um, and uh, you know anything that kind of uh, exists in the public consciousness from a hundred years ago is almost automatically going to be um, uh, one of the greatest films ever made, and so I don't think this is going to end up on that list. But at the same time, it will end up uh, like any other year. It would have very easily ended up on sort of a best of the year list for me. Yeah. Um. Overall, like I don't know. There's a there's kind of a you know complicated thing of which I both do and do not want to kind of talk about kind of the political angle of this. And since we've now gotten to takes this, I kind of want to start off and kind of like actually split this into two conversations to kind of talk about this, like divorced from the political reality of the Vietnam mm-hmm. War first and kind of talk about like kind of like the reality of like kind of the actual just kind of situa- situation that's in which Walter Hill seems to have wanted audiences or at least sold it to audiences or sold it to investors or whatever through interviews um, by kind of saying like no, no this isn't about the Vietnam War which yeah. this is very obviously about the Vietnam War so I feel like maybe we should kind of do this twice right and kind of mm-hmm. talk about it first is sort of like a kind of character drama kind of a uh, situation because like ultimately this is about like 
a bunch of people with sort of like individual kind of character dynamics who kind of end up in this kind of like fucked up situation where they're put under stress. And it is kind of a kind of weird Romero movie in a way. Like um, I kind of like kind of doing this after day of the dead, just because it's uh, this, (laughs) you know, um, the situation in which uh, Romero kind of like uh, reached his peak kind of doing movies in which this sort of like band of people get put under stress and like the horror movie elements are almost secondary to the sort of the horror of the kind of individuals who are going to kind of fight amongst each other. Yeah. And this does feel very much like a Romero movie kind of like made for um, like a TV edit where like we've taken out all the like blood and guts and gore, but uh, we kind of keep like those dynamics. And it's kind of a really kind of fascinating thing to kind of think of it that way. I really do like the film. I really do kind of like some of the, uh, the character elements and the, the, uh, the, the dynamics here. I really kind of like, you know, we've kind of got our, two main leads who are sort of this, you know, kind of down to earth kind of characters who are kind of going on and kind of doing this kind of like professional work. And they're just surrounded by a bunch of dipshits and this would be fine, except like fucked up shit happens, um, which is largely not the fault of our leads. And then like they get kind of uh, attacked by uh, an indigenous population, which Again, we're not going to talk about Vietnam uh, for another like ten or fifteen minutes. So. Yeah, but yeah, no, I think the film is the film is quite good. The thing Walter Hill has done before, like he kind of throws a little bit of this in a lot of movies he's done, but The Warriors comes to mind the most because it's the same sort of story. It's you know, small group of people. They're stuck in a yeah, form. I, mean, I, I have unfortunately not seen the Warriors, and that is because um, I am a couple of years younger than you, and that's the only <laughs> reason I think. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the Warriors is, is very much similar to this. Right from the get-go, even the, the dynamic of having the leader killed, and it's basically the group under him have to survive in enemy territory and and sort out their group dynamic now that their leader is dead. And, you know, there's conflicting, you know, they're biting butting heads while at the same time they're getting picked off one by one by their enemy who, you know, are just hunting them down. And Peter Coyote in this, he's the professional soldier. He's the one who should see them through this. But then he's he's immediately killed and it, it just it just leaves all these other conflicting uh, different characters to to their own devices, you know. Like, do you think that, like, Peter Coyote is, like, sort of a reasonable, like, sort of soldier? Like, do you, do you think he's a kind of a good soldier? Do you think he could have gotten on through this at the beginning? I think he, he could have. I, I pretty much think, he, like, I mean, he, he, he's he been in this shit, right? Like, he, he was a Vietnam vet. Yeah, right. I mean, I feel like this is so much sort of a, like, a, a training exercise. Like, this is a thing mm-hmm. that, like, oh, yeah, we do this a couple times a year. It's not a it's not a huge deal. It kind of sucks to kind of like kind of be out on your own for a while, but ultimately you're just kind of traipsing through the woods and like proving that you know how to use a compass and everything. Like you know, yeah, um, it's it's orienteering with blanks in the, in, a, in a rifle. It, it, right, kind of what it is. blanks in the rifle kind of becomes a bit of a, a plot point um, at a certain point because like it turns out, oh yeah, there's this one guy, um, the 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 asshole, the big asshole here, yeah. Fred Ward. Who, oh yeah, no, I actually packed some uh, live rounds uh, so that I could like kill things and uh, eat them while we were on this thing, and um, you know you kind of get the sense of like, uh, well, that's both uh, very convenient for the plot and um, very. Um, that's a bullshit excuse because they're they're yeah. going to be out for a day. 
at the right. most. Yeah, exactly. So what what is he going to shoot and kill at that? At, at, yeah, you know, and, like, and yeah. so so it is like yes. Uh, well, you know, I can't possibly shoot blanks with my pen. I mean, my gun, my gun. I can't. Yeah, no. Can't Fred Ward is looking for people to shoot. Is what he's doing. He's looking for an right. excuse. Or he's looking. He's you know. It's like I don't know. There there is this kind of like the, the kind of amosexual kind of uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, like, I don't have any problem with people that own guns and, and that sort yeah. of thing. So long as um, you're not like a right wing dipshit about it. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's a you know kind of complicated situation. But there is the, that class of man who is like, well, I can't possibly carry a rifle. Like this is sort of the fantasy. This is sort of the thing that you kind of get into. Like these guys are like national guardsmen, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole the whole idea of the sort of the national guard, um, at least sort of like during the way it kind of gets advertised is like, oh yeah, you do like kind of you know a weekend every few months and you do like two weeks a year of um, what amounts to like kind of training just to kind of keep you in readiness. So that if we need you, you can kind of come in and kind of do like various things. And for the most part, it's like a hurricane happens. And so the national guard comes in like stack sandbags, right? Hurricane but, um, Katrina. Yeah. Yeah. Katrina. I mean, well, I'm not used to live in the American South. So I, I kind of get the sense that, you know, like it's just it's thing that happens like, you know, um, yeah. you know, they get sent out like whenever there's a FEMA disaster, or whenever there's a flood, whenever there's a, you know, kind of kind of a big thing that needs wildfires. You know, some of the national guard mm-hmm. kind of kind of show up there, and they end up being like <laughs> it is kind of the one thing that like the American military is actually not so good at like um you know actively winning wars, but they're really good at moving material around, and so it really <laughs> does be like you know your whole um your whole strategy you know is kind of bringing in like people who are going to like do logistical work of like yeah we have all the all the uh, clipboards full of all the data of like exactly where this bottled water is going to go. And that's just sort of mm-hmm. the thing that the American military is actually quite, quite good at. Um, it would be amazing if they were not using that to uh, um, uh, bomb brown people into submission. Right. But um, uh, we're not talking about politics right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it does sort of, it does, you just sort of get the sense of which like these guys are just kind of dipshits. And um this film does take place in 1973, which is kind of the tail end of the Vietnam War. Yep. And I'm not as aware of sort of the dynamics of kind of what's going on with the National Guard versus the kind of full-range military around that time. But you sort of get the sense of, like, these guys that kind of couldn't hack it in the full military who right. are kind of, like, kind of coming on and kind of LARPing to a certain degree. But, I mean, you know, at this point, the, the military is still taking, like, they're taking anybody. Uh, like right. the the like the morale is at an all time low because they've just basically lost the Vietnam War. Even if they don't want to admit it, they've lost. Well, everybody I mean, knew everybody knew that they were losing. Like you know, um, very early on, like people are kind of aware of this kind of process of like we're losing, and then it's kind of like, well, why are we losing? And the um, the real answer is like um, this is just unwinnable. There's no like victory condition that's even possible. You know, yeah, when you're trying to do this. Um, so you gotta you gotta ask yourself like what what is the National Guard going to attract? It's going to attract people who, you know, there, there's going to be honest, earnest people who just want a job and to make some money. That that's going to happen. But you're also going to get your, you know, your you guys hungry for comeuppance. You know, like the ones who want to, I want to strike back and you know kill some brown people or whatever. You know, the kind of thing. And so there's talk of that, you know, there's the, uh, there's the opening conversation. It's just very brief. Like it's like 30 seconds where the, uh, the second in command Casper talks to uh, Peter Coyote's character and, you know, mentions 
there's mercenary jobs opening up, you know, like uh, soldiers like us, we could, we could make some good bank going over to like Africa and shit like that. And, you know, overthrowing countries and Peter Coyote, who is the Vietnam vets, like they want soldiers. They don't want you. Like they don't, they don't want people like you, you know, who are just like, some of you are tryhards and and LARPers, you know, like you said, and, and some of them are just working stiffs or desk clerks and stuff who want to make a little extra bucks on the, on the weekend, you know? So that, that kind of thing. Right. I mean, there, there is this kind of thing and I, I can recommend, uh, you know, can can we say, I don't know if, I don't know if he's listening to this podcast, but he listens to my, my other podcast, which uh, we will uh, hype at the end, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, journalist uh you know like a conflict journalist and a comedian uh robert evans a friend of the pod um i did an episode of behind the bastards which was about uh the soldier of fortune magazine i think it's a two-part episode and um kind of described this sort of you know the fact that this is like sort of this dipshit who was selling uh this kind of mercenary fantasy and this idea of like oh you too can go off and be a soldier and be a mercenary and be a badass to um couch potatoes couch yep. potatoes and fatigue essentially you know uh guys who had enough money to buy a big gun and uh, didn't have the um, wherewithal to actually kind of learn how to use it properly and kind of use it for uh, it's appropriate purpose. Uh, highly recommended. We'll uh, kind of stick that in the show notes for sure. Yeah. It's hilarious and enlightening. Um, and uh, you know, but but this is the type that like this is these are kind of the kind of people that are in there. And I and I feel like this also kind of feeds into this sort of idea of like, um, even in the Vietnam era, you know, there was no like the modern day military is actually um, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> uh, the military, uh, for over a while at least, was sort of like kind of reaching for the best and the brightest. They were looking for people who are you know kind of above, yeah, you know, above a certain mark because like they didn't need as many like kind of kind of rank and file soldiers. They needed people mm-hmm. who, you know, met a certain standard. And then um, not eleven happened, and then we decided, oh, let's just start forever wars in, in seven different countries. Yeah. Um, and uh, now they just. They, they definitely kind of let people through <laughs> who should definitely not be let through this process. Um, so, but, but during Vietnam, there really was a, it actually is sort of documented that like, because there was a draft and because uh, nobody wanted to do this and anybody who had any kind of ability to kind of get around it uh, would not kind of go and like uh, go through the rice paddies of Vietnam. Uh, the, the soldiers there, with no disrespect for anyone who might be listening, who served or had uh, relative who served, um, these are these are not uh, kind of overall the kind of people that you really want to be <laughs> soldiers if you're planning on kind of winning a war. And so there is this kind of like parallel, and maybe this lends us into more kind of more of the political angles of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is this kind of parallel, to, like, like these are dipshit losers in this movie who have like violent fantasies about like kind of killing people who have all these kind of like problematic attitudes and, you know, just complete dipshits and um, the kinds of shit that kind of happened in Vietnam. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, these guys just like Vietnam, like the people who were drafted for Vietnam, a bunch of kids who were not psychologically ready for combat, especially not guerrilla warfare combat where you have an enemy that, Half the time you don't even see. I have a cat, uh, in case anybody uh, can hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all right. I'm gonna ignore that cat. It's not <laughs> Phoebe. All right. <laughs> she said something. Probably a sock. 
great. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, you, like you, you get these young kids who are not. You, sure, they'll go through the training, but even like a professional soldier at that point who had probably been in the military for a while before Vietnam, not really ready for the type of war that they ended up fighting. Like they, they were fighting against a enemy that was far inferior in technology. And I mean, you get the same thing here in the movie. Like these Cajuns just have like, they have like, I think some of them had like flintlock muskets for fuck's sakes. Like they were <laughs> like the old, old guns. And, but at the same time, they, they just knew the environment. They knew how to track and hunt these guys. And even, you know, even the fact that Fred Ward's character brings like a fucking box of ammo doesn't help them at all. Like, because they're just, they're just not ready to fight in this environment. They're not even ready to fight at all. So, uh, well, they're, they're not, they're not in that headspace, right? It's not like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I'm going off to war. It's like, oh no, I'm going to go traipse through the woods for a while. And like, it is easy to kind of see like the horror movie element of this. And I think when you first kind of said like, oh, let's do this movie. And I kind of like read the description. I'm like, oh, this is going to kind of be a horror movie, but it's, I mean, it both is and isn't. And it kind of has that, again, that kind of Romero quality in which like the real um, horror is sort of the, the actions that sort of happen within this kind of group dynamic. It is sort mm-hmm. of the the psychological threat more so than like, you know, this thing, but you can imagine this sort of like a version of this, which is like a Texas chainsaw massacre, but uh, you know, like where it's a bunch of like hillbillies, you know, kind of murdering uh, violently, uh, you know, but I mean, or whatever, you know, but I mean, yeah, this movie, even though, you know, it doesn't give you like a direct face for your antagonist so much the, this film still, takes the time to let you know that yes indeed this is an actual culture that's been intruded upon and been wronged by these soldiers and and it also shows two sides of that culture it shows just the regular Cajuns in the town who are just having like a celebration in a festival or whatever and just partying it up or whatever it's it's really these hunters who are probably bad guys like they're they're shitty people like they're they're willing to kill because you know these guys stole they still, their... They still, like, literally, so the incident, uh, the, the kind of, the incident that sort of makes these, the, the inciting incident, I should mm-hmm. say, is they stole, like, three canoes. Uh, yeah. The, the soldiers did. The, the National Guardsmen did. And um, when they're kind of confronted from, like, 100 meters away on the on the bank, they're, they're kind of like, oh, we left a note. We told you what we were going to do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the the Cajuns are never really sort of treated as individuals. You you yeah. basically never, except in one character, which I think we'll get to in a second, you never really kind of get to um, a, a sort of an, uh, who these people are and kind of what their motivations are, except for you stole our canoes. And then this like, one, like, the, the dipshittiest of the dipshit is like, I'm going to play a joke and I'm going to, like, lay down some machine gun fire which these are blanks so clearly um these people know i'm just firing on them with blanks <laughs> and um they're not they're going to take this as the joke that it is and uh no the the answer is they're going to shoot your leader in the head um yeah they uh, you know completely justifiably honestly like yeah you know but then they start like hunting these people down and everything and so there is this kind of like complicated dynamic in that although it is it is kind of like you know it's kind of hard to um to kind of know and 
again, I, I feel that we should we should maybe talk about some of these characters and kind of talk about some of the actors and then kind of mm-hmm. get into some of the more Vietnam-y stuff, maybe. Sort of the Walter Hill thing here, again, going with the Warriors, a lot of the characters are kind of like one or two note. Like, they're just, they're, they're background characters. Like, it's, it's basically Harden and Spencer are your two main guys. And you know they're they're the fast friends. Uh, they're they're the more level headed of the group. You know they're just the working stiffs. I, I, I love that Spencer is like, well, I lined up some prostitutes. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and you're welcome to one if you would like one. And uh, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, no, Harden's like, I'm married. So you know, yeah. and you know, uh, the only other like really standout characters like you you do have casper who's the uh soldier wannabe who wants to be an officer and shit and he's trying to take control after peter coyote's character is killed and it's not working out too well for him but then you have fred ward's character who is the fucking psycho who's looking for somebody to kill and then you have that other guy michael madsen from reservoir dogs yeah he kind of is although much more overtly vicious right off the bat yeah, I mean he he brings live ammo and he's like, oh no, in case we had to kill something while we were in the jungle or while we were in the swamp uh, <laughs> to eat, and it's like, dude, we were out here for a day and we've got like three MRE. Like it, that was going to be fine. That was always going to be fine. You know, yeah. Like, you you brought the you brought these for a reason, and that's uh, because you didn't want to. You didn't feel like you were a real man unless you were not shooting blanks. Ultimately, yeah. But no, I mean, it's good. Like the Harden and Spencer thing makes sense like they, they they get along uh you know uh harden is much more no bullshit though like he he's not he's not a guy who rolls with the punches he's a guy who throws punches whereas spencer is a guy who's like yeah i know this is bullshit too but i'm just gonna run with it because you know hey at the end of the day we're gonna get some cajun hookers so let, that's that's what's coming up you know he, he's just that's always <laughs> focused on I like to imagine that the uh, the prostitutes they were going to go for, or were the people that they ran into in the town at the end of the film. Yeah. <laughs> like it turns out, like oh no, we were going to get the, the hookers from here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, Spencer gets to dance with that really attractive woman, like yeah. sup- like model quality woman. Like wow, <laughs> you're you're like the diamond in the rough in this little Cajun village, you know? Like yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like we we sort of. It's interesting that the film, and again, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, just kind of talk about kind of the nature of the film is that we spend uh, about thirty minutes kind of getting us into this kind of situation in which, like, okay, we're screwed. We've stolen these mm-hmm. boats. Uh, our leader is killed, and now we have to kind of like trips to the jungle without a compass. Like they, it's a little like, well, we lost the compass, we lost the radio, we lost yeah. the map. When we got like dunked in the water, and it's like you guys are really bad at this. Like, you guys <laughs> are really, really like. You brought one compass with nine people. Yeah. There's one compass. There's one map. There's one radio. I mean, at least one radio is like, oh, that shit's expensive when you got to like harden it and kind of do it for military stuff. But the, mm-hmm. it is like nobody else brought a compass. You guys are completely, you guys are really bad at this. Um, and so they basically end up spending like, I kind of like to imagine they basically spend like, like two days just kind of wandering in circles through the forest, you know? And, uh, you know, at the end it's like, okay, we got to find a place to sleep. And then they like sleep and then they wake up in the morning and then they found like they literally they're like meters away from like the highway that they've been looking for the whole time. Mm -hmm. And that's how they get like saved or whatever. Um, It's kind of kind of a fascinating uh, phenomenon. But like during this process, a whole bunch of the guys get get killed and they kind of get these kind of ominous signs of, you know, like rabbit pelts. And then they find like eight. um, I think it's eight like bear traps. 
So what about like there are nine of us? Like why are there only eight? Or you know, kind of whatever. And then it turns out, oh no, there's also another like uh, man trap, which is uh, you know spikes, which yeah. just goes straight through. You know, right after you say like, oh yes, there are are one or I think two uh, African American characters, uh, which I think you you informed me there are actually two. Yeah. But uh, are are one guy who's sort of like coded as the African American character. Um, you know, oh yeah, take point. Okay, I'm gonna take point, and then like. 30 seconds later, not even 30, like 15 seconds later. Yeah. Spikes to the face. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. Very, a very uh, Vietnamish looking kind of trap that he just walks mm-hmm. into. And it's, it's not even Vietnamish. This is, it's like Return of the Jedi. You know, yeah, he, he walks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, Return of the Jedi is after this film. So, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to but like, it's very George Lucas, you hack. Yeah. <laughs> you were clearly stealing devices <laughs> from. <laughs> <laughs> the Walter Hill movie from 1981. That's cool. Yeah. Right after that, they all freak out and run. And that, that's where they get in the conflict where they start unloading, like, the, the one box of bullets they have all between them. They clearly go through, like, four boxes of bullets to try to kill all these, these right. guys. And that's where uh, the Cajuns have somehow set up tree traps as well, where they're pushing... Like these trees are just falling on them, like in front of them and shit. Like, they're, they're, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of shit of like, how did you know they were gonna go? To, like, like there this this does have some sort of logical inconsistencies, uh, shall mm-hmm. I say, in terms of uh, the powers of the Cajuns. But I think what's interesting is that the the Cajuns, except for one character, are almost well, except for until you get to to the end. But yeah. um, you know, are, are are almost entirely faceless. And here, I think we can both kind of talk about this character and kind of lean into a little bit of the, the politics of the film. Um, yeah. So uh, Brian, Brian James, Brian James, who um, I think most people will know from Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, but I kind of remember from the fifth element. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of like where my brain goes. It's like, Oh yeah, he's the, uh, he's the, he gets frozen to death in the, in the fifth element. Because, <laughs> uh, Lilu doesn't, doesn't, uh, can't show her tits or whatever. Um, <laughs> um but he's phenomenal here he's he's a really good he's a really good character he's a really good actor and they kind of run into this guy and he's sort of like the the one-armed man Mm -hmm. across in his shack and then they just sort of like say like oh you're the one that like killed our guy you're the one that kind of opened fire and they have no there's no justification for this no they have nothing they find dynamite in his shack and i'm kind of like oh this is gonna come back later we're gonna that they're gonna set some bombs or some shit for you know and like no because our like dipshit violent asshole fred ward decides like oh no i'm gonna paint the fucking cross on my chest with it's not fred ward it's the other guy it's the guy who's the other guy he's coded as like the uh christian crazy right right yeah and again in 1981 that had kind of very specific kind of political dimensions but this idea of um we're going to find like the first random villager we find and decide that that guy's guilty. Like yeah. that is so like what happened in Vietnam is yeah. just like, it's so it's what happens with like, sort of like police forces in African-American communities today, especially in kind of bigger cities. It's like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, we interviewed this guy, he said you did it. And then they just kind of forced him to admit it and then like put him into the legal system. And it happens in uh, the villages of Afghanistan. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the documentary or Strepo. Yeah. Yep. very much a, a film that's kind of about like you know <laughs> again military dipshittery um where you know they're they're kind of uh transiting people kind of in and out of there on like 18 month regiments and so like just as people sort of start to get 
the hang of sort of the local communities sort of like get working relationships with the kind of local tribesmen and that sort of thing. Um, suddenly they, they, they rotate back into yep. the U S and then, you know, which is again, something that's like, it's, it's just, it's kind of like, you know, uh, dipshits all the way down <laughs> in terms of like yeah. American military occupation. You, you, you make but, some, you, you make some connections and stuff and all of a sudden you're gone. And then some kid who like, a couple months before he got into boot camp was just playing call of duty on his fucking PS4 or whatever. Now all of a sudden he's in this village in the shit, you know, like, right. Right. And then by the time that kid like kind of learns the lay of the land, he gets replaced by the next guy. Yeah. Uh, not that we're saying that like anybody should spend any time at all. No, you know, like fighting this like useless war, which isn't a war, but like if you're like like it is kind of the worst of of all worlds because it's not even like oh yeah we're gonna build people until they have um, on the ground expertise and then like use them to actually do something effective, and um, the fact that that's the way these wars are waged should tell you what the real motive. Of yeah, the, uh, yeah. Anyway, but like this is this is the sort of thing to where like the U.S. military has like kind of always said like. Oh, the whole thing is uh, the villagers kind of blend in, or sort of the bad guys blend in with the villagers. Mm -hmm. And so we have to raise the villager to get the bad guys. But then also we want the kind of hearts and minds of the people there. And then they have kind of no ability to kind of build these kind of working relationships. And they're like, it's sort of this divergent uh, goals, uh, kind of divergent ideologies uh, that kind of lead to this kind of. Um, incompetent or incomprehensible policy, right? Yeah. And uh, this this kind of gets like, kind of set up in microcosm with like they kind of approach this guy, they decide he's guilty, they take him prisoner, they blow up his fucking house, which <laughs> of course in, in Vietnam and in Afghanistan, like, burning down like people's houses is you know a complete you know this is this is text this isn't even subtext this is super text you know like um, yeah no that's that's literally all that guy had in his life like he's a one-armed yeah. trapper out in the bayou in louisiana you know like right yeah when he had dynamite so he could like you know bomb fish and like bring them to the surface and he had like a rifle and they blew everything away and even then and later on they torture this guy they yeah. like, literally they put his face in like this like awful water and, uh, you know, it's, he literally spares like the two people who like spared him, yeah. like, you know, and then it turns out like, oh no, I speak English. It's fine. I, yeah. I he's like speaking French time. this whole time, yeah. pretending, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost directly like if you wanted to go a real super racist in this film, it's almost like he's directly going, no speaking English, no speaking English, <laughs> you know, like. It's it's very much that thing, or you know, five dollars soldier boy, you know that kind of thing, and right. Well, well, you know, because that's like the strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, like I don't speak your language, I don't, I only speak French, you know, like uh, you know, whatever. And then, like, no, no, it turns out I actually did speak your language, and I was watching everything that was happening, and yeah. like ultimately, you were under my control the entire time, even when you had me like tied up to a to a tree or whatever. And his his performance is great because the the movie shows you. That yeah, he's fucking with them. Like he, they, it gives you like shots of his face and stuff where he's he's just watching them converse, and he's every once in a while he gets a little wry smile on the edge of his face and stuff like like you know he's fucking with them, and it's yeah. pretty beautiful. Yeah, he's he's much smarter than uh, they give him credit for, and yeah. uh, they they kind of just treat him as an object for most of the, for much of the film, you know. And then at the end, when he's like standing on that bridge. You know, with with a rifle, and he's like, you know, now you're under my charge. Like, I'm gonna give you safe passage. Here's how you get out of here. Um, yeah, go. You know, um, it is kind of amazing reversal, and it does kind of show like a certain um, 
you know, kind of character bit there where and you know, it, he's it a better person it, than the people uh, who uh, tortured him. Ultimately. Yeah, it, it makes well, it. He, he could have shot them in the head and then like yeah. buried them in the swamp and nobody fucking would have known. It, it, it makes it pretty clear that he is not associated with those trappers that are hunting them. Honestly, it feels like he might even be like an outsider to the community. Like he just lives on his own as a trapper, and I mean, every once in a while, like a hermit guy, kind of, yeah. kind of sitting out there and like doing his trapping and selling his pelts and kind of making his, you know, few bucks that he needs to kind of keep his thing going on. I mean, there is this kind of like phenomenon of like like swamp people and hill people just kind of exist in these kind of like liminal spaces, kind of outside of civilization. Yeah. And civilization has this. Kind of complicated um, resonance and kind of complicated meaning within these this kind of discourse, but you know, um, you know, kind of outside of like kind of what we think of as kind of like regulated society, and this is something we've talked a little bit about, I think, in um, <laughs> in some other episodes, and um, I can't quite remember exactly where we talked about it at this point because uh, I thought I was going to be done recording. Oh, maybe uh, maybe just before dawn. That I think we did right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, we talked a little bit about that about how like these these kind of people like like who grants you the title to your property. So mm-hmm. there's a bank in town, or I have a rifle, and uh, nobody is ever going to come and take it from me. And that's kind of the other way yeah. you kind of get this. And and I feel like there is this kind of like a sense uh, in the film in which like we've entered this space, we've entered this kind of place in which like we as sort of like um, representatives of this kind of U.S. military authority uh, don't really have that authority because yeah. like ultimately the U.S. government is not going to have any way to, to, to kind of get in here and like exert its will. Even when like there are the amount of time passes to which, oh, the, the army is going to come looking for you guys, or the National Guard is going to come and kind of looking for us. They just kind of like buzz over the trees yeah. and completely miss anything. Like it is like the most incompetent search ever, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and also, you know, yeah, the, the U.S. military doing training exercises through here with the National Guard. Yeah, they don't actually have authority in, in this in this area uh, it, 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 when it comes down to it. And but I mean, you get the sense that if they had just minded their own business and not fucked with these people. It would have been perfectly fine. That you know, they probably would have passed yeah, no, these no, hunters no. in the woods, and the hunters just wouldn't have like, yeah, whatever. Go. I mean, your I do way. wish we had gotten like some context of who the hunters were. Yeah, uh, I mean, the one kind of look we really get of the the Cajun people is kind of towards the end, and this is where the film kind of like where I was kind of looking for like, oh, we're gonna kind of end on this kind of giant like kind of violent shootout at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, what we get is like uh, you know, kind of our um, our hunter character who uh, gives them kind of safe passage and kind of says, here's how you get out of here. Um, you know, uh, presumably he's in the, enough kind of contact with the, with the rest of them to kind of say like, yeah, no, um, they helped me out. We're going to let them live, you know? Um, although, you know, well, I don't know. There's, there's a kind of, a, and this is where it becomes complicated because we, we don't really get a sense of the kind of the internal dynamics of the, the Cajuns and like why these three guys are kind of still after them. Well, um, here, here's the thing, like, as far as what I was tracking, uh, watching this, uh, so a Brian James character basically says, you stay over to like this side of the bank or whatever, and you keep going and you'll be fine. And so they do that and they immediately run into like a highway 
they run into a fucking truck and they get taken to the the nearest town. So I, I don't think Brian James said anything to any townies or anything because the townies don't. They just seemed like, oh, these two guys got lost in the in the in the swamp, and so we're gonna you know we're gonna give them some hospitality, let them clean themselves up, and hey, we're having a festival, so come dance yeah. and drink. It is completely bizarre to see like these two guys in like full military fatigues, yeah. just kind of walking around in this like what well, looks like a pretty fun party. Like honestly, I'm you know mm-hmm. I. I suspect you and I have both been to this party uh, on at least a couple of occasions. It's very, uh, it's very close to what would be like a uh, Nova Scotian uh, kitchen party kind of idea, yeah. except for just like in everybody's kitchen in town all at once, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, you, you go out there, it's just, you, gotta, you know, you kind of sit there, you got a host, and, you know, it's just like everybody kind of comes from... from They're the, all drinking Dixie beer. Everybody's drinking. They're drinking Dixie lager, which is which is uh, a thoroughly mediocre lager, but I can only imagine how good <laughs> it would taste if you were... Like, it's such a, like, it's just a fun time. You got a bunch of bunch of uh, young ladies kind of dancing around, and then our uh, uh, carroting there, he gets... Um, he looks like he's about to get some until uh, mm. the... The hunters kind of show back up and decide to uh, throw their weight around and start shooting people. Well, well, Harden's like he, he's not having any of it, and that that kind of speaks to that paranoia of you know a U.S. soldier in a Vietnam village. Who can you trust? Like you're told, the enemy are amongst you in this village. So he's he's thinking in those terms. He's like, no, we can't stop. We can't afford to stop here, and drink and and live it up because he's those, like, let's those... just kind of keep going. Yeah, and you know, but the, the other option is like. Look, the helicopter's going to find us. Like, we're we're going to take the next trip out. But also, uh, these people are not; they're clearly not trying to kill us. Uh, let's uh, have some beer and get our dicks wet. Is what exactly? Yeah. Saying. Yeah. Uh, also, should mention uh, in in this sequence, uh, people who are a little squeamish about seeing uh, animals killed on screen. There's full pig slaughter gets, in this. It gets full surreal for a little bit because, yeah. like, I, and and I, I'm not quite. I don't I, know. I'd I, love to get your thoughts on this uh, because I assume you've seen this. I've, I've I watched this one time, like this afternoon, just mm-hmm. uh, before recording this. Um, what do you think? The like because you get like these kind of intercut sequences of like animal slaughter mm-hmm. with um, sort of the people dancing and the sort of violence of the kind of final battle and there's a sort of a completely obvious reading in which like, Oh, this is about kind of this brutality of war, brutality of like conflict sort of thing. But I'm wondering if you have a more sophisticated take on that. Well, I think also it's just a culture thing too. Like, it's just like, you know, people who would be walking in, in Vietnam and walking into these Vietnam villages. And these are these young American kids who have no contact with any foreign culture at all. Like the, you know, they're the suburban white kids or whatever, you know, or down on their luck you know, lower class kids or whatever, not even in the suburbs. And then suddenly they're in these villages in Vietnam with these cultural practices that they're not familiar with at all. And they're seeing like all around them in, as they're walking into these villages. I think that's kind of what this is hinting at. And also, it's also just a very visceral thing that makes Harden go like, we need to get fuck out of here or we're going to be like these pigs. We're, we're going to get killed. Yeah. Like, and and I, th- I think it just helps to ramp up the tension and does a very effective job of it. And and yeah, these are pigs being killed on screen because I watched the credits and there was nothing about animals not being harmed in this film. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah, no, no. I, I mean, it's very clear that 
but but also like I mean, look, uh, you know, not not to speak for you, but you know, like I I live a life in which uh, you know I don't have to kill the meat that I eat every day. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, you know, I buy I buy a pork shoulder and it's like wrapped up in a nice plastic package for me, and yep. like I have no like um, discomfort kind of handling that and kind of understanding what it is. But it is like kind of funny how like people who eat meat every day, people who are um, completely sort of uh, uh, comfortable with that um, get like really grossed out by like the blood at the bottom of the package or get like really kind of disgusted like uh, handling right. it and there's, and there's a very clear kind of disconnect between like this piece of meat that you just bought is like the muscle of an animal that was murdered uh, for you to eat and mm-hmm. um, you know I think there are like completely like complicated uh, you know uh, conversations about like factory farming and how terrible that is like it's, I it's will... complete atrocity um but like there's a different thing of like i killed this pig myself so that i can feed myself and the people in my community mm-hmm. like that's a very kind of different thing than well like, the way i mean I, the, the meat that i eat is much less ethically sourced than like within the context of this film the deaths of those pigs so. yeah harden harden and spencer they get picked up by this young couple in their truck and driven to the town, and they happen to be the ones with the pigs on the back of their truck. These pigs are set up to go to this town for the festival. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to be the feast for everybody. And so, I mean, even then, like, you got to kind of think, <laughs> uh, like, I'm not, I'm not super freaked out about seeing slaughtered animals and stuff because I, I've lived in a family that has hunted and stuff like that for mm-hmm. as long as I've, been alive and been aware so it's it's not something that bothers me on a sort of visceral level like i I definitely do have complicated feelings about like factory farming and stuff like that but hunting as far as you know like uh keeping a a stable population of animals and things like that because i mean if you if you don't actually if you actually don't call deer they just they honestly they do just suffer and die during the winter because their population explodes and i mean that's a real thing but i mean these are pigs this is a bit of a different uh, connotation here, but um, you directly see pigs get shot on screen. Like there's no like cutaway. They they take the right. rifle and put it right to its head, shoot it. Then you see a pig get cut open and bled from the throat. You see its innards get pulled out. It's very much designed to freak these two guys out and to make you feel freaked out with them. Like we need to get the fuck out of this town. Even though it's, I miss that detail of like, you know, they're riding in the back with the pigs. Yeah. And so like, if that's the case, then ultimately that's a, that's sort of a, like a a signifier of like, well, you're next basically. Exactly. That's going to be on their minds. But at the same time, I don't begrudge the Cajuns at all. That's their culture. That's the food they eat. Oh, no, they no, actually no, have no, to do no, that, right? That's so, much more, I mean, again, that's much more ethically sourced than the food that I ate for dinner. Ex- exactly. And and day. that just goes to what I was saying about, you know, Americans who would be going into like these Vietnamese villages and seeing stuff that they had never seen before happen. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you would probably see Viet- Vietnamese villagers like slaughtering fowl and and stuff like that, you know, like just every day to day stuff, right? And I mean, if you're taught to hate your enemy, they're you know they're lower savages or whatever the fuck, that's going to probably reinforce those those feelings, unfortunately. And um, and I don't know if it's necessarily that hard in 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 the context of this film. I don't necessarily think the film's trying to like make 
even our heroes think lesser of the Cajuns or anything like that, but I think that's kind of a thing. No, that no, I, I don't. I don't think that that's kind of what that's going for at all. I, you know, talking to you, I feel like it is like you know we're seeing the murders of these uh, pigs, and it is supposed to be sort of a you know a violent contrast to the yeah you know the. Uh, the violence of the the action sequences that, that kind of come in the end, and I think it's it's a little bit even when I was kind of like questioning what it meant, I, I think it's a bit of a masterstroke for the film because we've spent so much time in this sort of like very almost mundane kind of walking through the swamp yeah. kind of kind of thing, and then like at the end you get this like both frenzied crescendo of violence, and you get this sort of like kind of thematic thing kind of you know, almost hammering it into your head. But the fact that it's like, um, you know, kind of slightly abstracted does sort of like aid, um, kind of, kind of make it slightly less ambulicious than it might otherwise be. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, do we have any other final thoughts before we go to trivia and stuff or some great performances, great actors. It is. Um, It's, uh, I'm not sure a woman has a speaking role in this. Um, uh, the the Cajun woman says a couple things in French, and okay. it's and it says briefly in English, "Follow me, I'll show you where you can wash up." That's about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's about it. But like, um, you know, which uh, is not necessarily a uh, terrible. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say the film is terrible because of that, but um, it is sort of one of those like. I mean, this is a very like dudes walking around. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, you can't. Kind of you can't really like put. I mean, but a... that's what the movie is. I'm not. I'm not criticizing for that. Yeah, no. I mean, in 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 the context of the of the of the era, you can't have a woman in the in the squad. Basically, that's right. that's one thing. And also, if you did have a woman in the squad, you know what it would be. They would have captured a Cajun woman would and would be holding her prisoner. Which it would be. It would be uh, ten minutes of rape. It <laughs> it's be, the uh, thing. Like if this was a lesser oh, movie, no. like if this now was, I remember this... what we're doing next week, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like if this was if this was like a really vicious exploitation film, you know that would be like something that someone would <laughs> it would be so. the last twenty minutes of Soldier Blue, but for like an hour. Oh my god, no. Yeah, Soldier Blue. I mean, that that's exactly what it would be, right? Which um, I just discovered just showed up on Rare List. So go download. Go get it. Yeah, if you want to be if you watch if you want to be super depressed, go watch Soldier Blue. <laughs> if you want to be thoroughly enta- entertained by a uh, goofy romantic comedy for an hour, and then like want to slit your wrists at the yes. end. Yes, if you want to, if you want to have your dick stroked and then like stepped on with a cinder block, then just go go right there. That sounds way more fun than Soldier Boy. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, budget right, for this. Wrap was, this thing up. Wrap this thing up. Go yeah, uh, budget for this was seven point six million. Uh, United States gross eventually was five million. So it did not make its money back. If you want to get this on Blu-ray, Shout Factory is your best steal there. They had a recent Blu-ray release in the last few years, and uh, it looks pretty good. Only a little bit of trivia here. Uh, should mention here the, the use of the phrase Southern Comfort as the title of the film, which was meant ironically, of course, had to be uh, cleared by the Brown Foreman Corporation owned the rights to the phrase as they make the liquor of the same name, of the of or the liqueur. So. Yeah. Um, I, I like to imagine like what they, uh, what they, what the marketing department wanted to insist on is like halfway through the film. The it's like, it turns out I had a bottle of Southern Comfort uh, all the time and uh, nine glasses. 
Yeah. And so then you have like a little commercial where they just kind of sit around and go like, I know we're running from the Cajuns. I know that we're in the middle of a vast Vietnam metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, let's all just sit and uh, sip on our Southern comfort around this fire uh, for five minutes and talk about how great the product is before we move <laughs> on into you know, the rest. They go into this authentic Cajun oh, town. It's like the, the, the beans farting scene from uh, <laughs> Blazing Saddles. Saddles. <laughs> but it's like a SoCo ad. That's what I imagine. No, they, they go to the, they go to the, the town, the, the Cajun town, and the party, you know, it happens to be sponsored by Southern Comfort this year. Oh, man. Big banner comes down. It's hanging, you know, between the trees. Yeah. Southern Comfort. <laughs> they walk into, like, this, like, Cajun village, and it's like, you know, like, you know, um, you know, it's like the, you know, the Walker family thing sponsored by Southern Comfort with the, like a big logo. <laughs> it's like, like one of the pigs they slaughter has Southern Comfort, like branded on it, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we're going to marinate this meat in Southern Comfort. That's the, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's, uh, yeah, no, we should, we should move on from this now. Yeah. Um, Everybody understands the joke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Southern Comfort. Uh, in one part of the movie, the Cajuns set a trap that includes uh, falling cypress trees. Even though the filming was being done deep in the cypress swamps of Caddo Lake, there were no trees available for this, uh, since because cypress is a protected species of tree. So these trees were plastic trees, and you know, basically uh, trucked into the swamp and then you know dropped at our actors. Basically, is, is what they did. But you also just kind of imagine like how much work did these fucking Cajuns put in when like for for like one percent of that effort they could have just come upon them in the dark and shot them all in the head. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like the you you can tell they're kind of more bad guys because they're fucking with these soldiers. Like at one yeah. point they they dig up the bodies of their dead comrades and string them to a tree. I mean that's yeah, yeah. So as you uh, do, as you do, all exactly. Yeah. Uh, so you stole my canoe. I'm so angry. I'm going to handle the dead body of your comrade <laughs> and spring it before you. Like that's how angry I, I am that you borrowed my canoe. That's uh, you know. Like, well, you also you also shot blanks at me. I mean, uh, that's that's yeah, the yeah. inexcusable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what are we doing uh, next uh, time, Daniel? Well, I think um, we agreed in the DMs um, that we're mm-hmm. going to do a couple of more Vietnam movies, um, just uh, because this kind of got me kind of itching to do a little bit of Vietnam stuff, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'll do an Oliver Stone. We'll do Platoon, okay, um, uh, from I think '86, and um, a movie I haven't seen since it was like originally on HBO in the early '90s. Um, a Brian of Palma film, uh, Casualties of War. I think it'll be fun to kind of do um, those two together. Um, and uh, I know that there's some fucking rape in Casualties of War, which I just yeah. As I was sitting here, but um, yeah. So we're going to do that. We're going to get like super serious and talk about <laughs> fucking Vietnam uh, for an episode. And then maybe we'll do some comedies after that. Just to cleanse everybody's palate. Yeah. So, yeah, that's huh? what we'll do next week. All right, cool. Uh, so tell people where they can find you on the interwebs, Daniel. I am on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. That's the best place to find me. You can DM me. I'm really terrible about getting back to it. I get a lot of shitty DMs. Um, I mostly tweet about um, Nazi shit and politics. 
Uh, not that I'm a Nazi, to be clear. Mm. Um, as I can't imagine anybody doesn't understand this already from listening to me. Um, I do another podcast called I Don't Speak German. German.libson.com. I have spent the last four years of my life obsessively researching the propaganda of the worst people in the English-speaking world, and I explain it all to you um, through that podcast. So if you are interested in that, it's uh, worth a listen, possibly. Yep. Um, it, it has jokes, um, sometimes funnier ones than this one, especially when Chris Cantwell is involved. But um, yeah. <laughs> yes and you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com or you can find our apple podcast facebook and youtube links join the facebook group best way to find out what's coming up and you know interact with us give us movie suggestions and just you know uh comments about how witty and uh attractive we are and uh you know the, the usual kind of stuff that we're used to getting oh. all the time we had a comment on the Facebook group you didn't read. Uh, Darren Wilson said, uh, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it was like, yeah, yeah. you can come on my show, talk about Land f- of the Dead. I figured you read it, so I, I didn't want to. I, I, I yeah, figured that was fair. less a show comment and more like, hey, Daniel. Yeah, no, I was just going to respond to him here because I don't really respond to anything on Facebook. And it's like, no, no, no. Uh, yes, I will come on your show and I will make Lee do this with me one day. That's going to be the. Uh, Oh, okay. <laughs> Not sure. really. It's fine. Darren, uh, assuming you're listening, yes, I would love to come on your show and talk about Land of the Dead if you're interested. Yes. Yeah, you guys go do it. I like, I like the movie, but I don't need to talk about it. It's like, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and I are going to be doing this into our 70s. You understand that, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I got nothing else going on. So, I mean, what the fuck? Assuming uh, I live that long, the coronavirus doesn't uh, kill me. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. I, I, by the time we hit our 70s, there'll probably be like some mutation of coronavirus at that point that will finally finish us off. Yeah. You know? yeah. Whatever. You and I will live together. We'll be the old uh, podcasting couple. We will uh, sit on the porch and drink uh, what is. By Southern that Comfort. Time, by that time. <laughs> drink Southern Comfort. <laughs> I was going to say we would drink, but what that is time, the incredibly old fashioned. Uh, attitude of like uh like bourbon barreled uh stouts you know like <laughs> the kids will no longer accept that as like a valid thing that like yeah people drink you know but you and i will be there and we will live in some like house i just imagine us on like separate rocking chairs and talking about <laughs> movies you know and just recording from microphones in front of us and then putting it out there for like a tim Vidal's episode like uh, twenty five thousand three hundred forty two. Can you believe these old fucks and their MP3s? They're not even using holograms. What the fuck? I'm not listening to that podcast. And we will still get comments of like, why did you not include the movie? (laughs) Because it's like 2052. Movies don't exist anymore, you stupid kids. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I think we're done. Uh, Thank you. I think we've been done for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, this is we, what happens when we have to record the episode twice. Um, yeah, so, we we know. we salvage. Enjoy this, from... this one. Enjoy. I hope you enjoyed this again. This one, fuckers. You know. I think we did a good job of salvaging it. So uh, I, I think the conversation went good. So uh, uh, thank you guys. Uh, thank you, Daniel. And uh, we'll be back when we're back. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.